Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Mind Blown Zone, episode three. This is Matt. I'm here with Brad. How are you, Brad? Never better yourself. Uh, same answer. I think you've you know, determined the greatest answer of all time. Never <laughs> better. So I just adopt it. Just sounds great. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> so in this episode, this is called the legal overlay history. This is stuff about law. This is stuff about the legal system. This is going to be mostly Brad. He's going to take us through a big history of law and the legal system. And he's going to basically tell me what happened, what what has happened. And I will be kind of the person making sure that everything is explained in a way that uh, is complete for for listeners so that everything, every question is kind of answered along the way and full understanding is conveyed. Okay, Brad, take it away. Fantastic. Yeah, no, this is... So for the for the listeners, this is you know think of this is kind of Matt and I over the last few months talking about various different subjects and kind of you know what caused us to be interested in in the podcast was that I would explain something to him and he would he had really insightful good questions about it. Well, you didn't this wasn't clear or that wasn't clear, and you know just I think it was you know first dawned on Matt he's like well it'd be fun to do a podcast with some of these conversations when you know, when we're done with a conversation like, that would have been interesting for other people to listen to. So that was one of the reasons we start, thought about doing this. And uh, hopefully we'll get a little bit of that today. Uh, this is mostly stuff that I have researched for the last couple of years, three, four, five years. And, uh, you know, it's some eye-opening material. And I wanted to present this with all of the history and the key highlight inflection points, if you will, on how these things have happened. Because when I first learned all of this legal, lawful gibberish back and forth, you know, I would learn only the, you know, the latest thing, like here's what they did, you know, the straw man, for example, everybody talks about that. You know, in my mind, I thought, well, how did this come about? Like, how, how did they get away with this? How did this happen? And, it, you know, it wasn't until months or years later that I would learn the real full history of how things got to where they were. So, Hopefully we'll be able to pull that off here today. I won't uh, ramble too much and Matt interrupt me at any any time if uh, what I'm explaining here isn't making sense. Uh, happy to. As I know you will. So, I, you know, first off, and I also wanted to get this out just as a precursor here, is that this is the kind of material that most presenters and researchers present as something bad and wrong and evil and we have to overthrow, and this is, you know, you can come away from listening to this feeling depressed or helpless, powerless to fix things. And that's not what I'm going to convey here today. I mean, it's certainly, you know, an uphill battle, but once you learn, once you understand what's happening, you realize that there's an opportunity to uh, correct things for yourself. You can't correct them for everybody. That you can correct them for yourself, from your family, friends, et cetera, that are interested. But it does require some learning and understanding. You can't just, someone can't just come and fix it for you. And that's really the whole point of this is that this legal system that we're under today that I'll be explaining throughout is basically taking away self-governorship from each of us, from self-responsibility of our affairs in the world. So it's kind of taken the burden off of the people and because the assumption from you know the, those that are running the system is we're we're not smart enough to do this we're not wise enough to be able to govern ourselves so they're going to do it for us that's kind of the idea so this when you get done hearing this just think do i want to step out of this system and become responsible for self-governing my life my affairs my property or am I comfortable with leaving things as they are? Everything's okay for me right now. That's the real inflection point. And it's, it's a certainty that some percentage of the population would rather leave things as they are. They're counting on other people taking care of their affairs, taking care of their finances, and so on and so forth. And that's just going to be the way it is for those other people. So hopefully that, make, that makes sense, Matt. Yeah. I'm okay. All right. So we're, we're, I'm calling this an opportunity. And it's, by the way, it's also a nice step in the direction of self-discovery, right? Is, is that feeling of being in total control 
of your life and your affairs, something that we don't have presently. Most of us, we, there are certain restrictions and limitations placed upon us by these legal governmental dictates. And, you know, when you reach the end of this process and perfect it, you can effectively get around almost all of those. So that's, what's interesting. We're not going to cover that today, but that'll be a future broadcast. So I'm going to get started and just mention what I, I remember smiling and laughing the first time I saw this, this word law, L-A-W. And, you know, looking for the origins of it and you won't very hard to find out there, but in effect, those are, those are the three jurisdictions, if you will, the three sections of, of law that have been operating since time immemorial. Well, the L stands for land. And that's, so that's the law of the land. And this is what people often refer to as the common law. And I wanted to explain this really quickly because then you go out, some people go out looking for books or explanations and there are books and explanations, but the common law means what's common to the culture, the people that you're living with and around. So it's not written down. It, it, it's the customs, the mores, the traditions of the people that you live around. That's all it is. And we kind of take that word for granted, right? Common. Oh, it's absolutely. Common. Absolutely. So the example I always give people is, let's say you lived in, you know, Papua New Guinea or something, and, you know, you wanted to, you don't have, you know, showers and things, but you go down to the river to take a bath and you take off all your clothes and you say you're naked by the river. And you take your bath and, you know, every now and again, people see you naked. It's no big deal to them. But, you know, you'd get thrown in jail, right, for doing this in America, right? There's a guy swimming naked down at the river. So it's a it's common for us not to be allowed to swim naked in rivers. But it's it's and it's common for the, you know, Umfufu tribe to be able to swim naked to wash themselves by the river. So that is a common law, you know, you know, people in uh, Middle Eastern countries where the women have to wear the hijab or whatever on, you know, on their face when they're out in public, right? That's the common law for them. Uh, and, you know, they get into all sorts of trouble if they don't cover up their face. Totally different here in America, right? So, so I see the, you've written that common law is different from natural law. So can I clarify something with you? Sure. Uh, I've got on Webster here, Webster's Dictionary, 1828, common law. In Great Britain and the United States, the unwritten law, the law that receives its binding force from immemorial usage and universal reception in distinction from the written or statute law, and it goes on more. So mm. yeah. can you clarify that then? Well, so so the statutory law is the is the is the M or the I'm sorry, the W, the water part, maritime water. Um, just to be clear on that. The natural law is is what governs this realm, this universe, right? So is this what you were asking? Like you want more explanation of natural well, law? Well, I, I guess what, I, what my confusion there was like what Webster says, you know, like the receives this binding force from immemorial usage, universal reception, that kind of, I don't know, that kind of sounds like a description of natural law, like since time immemorial or it does. May, may, maybe he's trying to say that that's, it's just law, common. It's common law, and it means that it's been accepted as normal, normal for just a very long time. Do you reckon maybe he's more saying that? Maybe. Here's a good. This is a good lesson here, right off the bat, is don't ever use everyday average dictionaries to understand legal and lawful stuff. It's they're almost mm -hmm. always way off. You got to look at law dictionaries to learn. Okay. If you want to learn some of these words, and there are. Of course, multiple definitions and explanation. I mean, it's a it's a winding part of what the legal system is. Is you can un, you can unwind, you can get out of anything inside the legal system with just like word interpretation and usage. But here's the, here's what I say: the distinction is between natural law, universal law, God's law, whatever you want to call it. So here, it, this idea of moving around or traveling, right? And it, the natural law suggests that you can go wherever you want. At any time, there's nothing stopping you from getting on a boat and sailing across an ocean and going to another country, right? Or walking over a, a fake border between countries, right? The natural law is you can move between these different states or nations, right? Nothing's stopping you. That's natural. 
But now the mm -hmm. common law of country X and country Y suggests that only people that, you know, are citizens of their country can walk across this border or else you have to have paperwork and sign something and blah, 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 blah. So that's a, that is a breaking the natural law to set up these unnatural geographic borders. Mm -hmm. Follow? So it seems like the common law is, this is how we do it here. That's and right. the natural law is something that you could, that, that is just like objectively coming out of reality that everyone could come to the conclusion of if they you know thought about it philosophically. Is that right? Yeah. It's the same idea with like free speech. You're allowed to say whatever you want to say according to the natural law. Mm -hmm. Right? You can say whatever you want to say. Nothing's stopping you from saying whatever you want to say. But in certain countries, certain places, right, their man's law, legal system, statutory law has come in and said, no, you aren't allowed to say these things in our country, in our state, whatever. So that's a, that is a breaking of the natural law. And there's consequences to breaking the natural law, by the way. Effectively. So what is the statutory law? Like I, I always get confused on that. What, what is that exactly? So that this comes from, you know, my next bullet here, we'll get into that, but that the statute, it's a nice word. Most people, when they see that word, what do they really see? They see statue, right? So yeah, some people even say statue law, <laughs> right? It is the law. It is the law of the fictional in effect. And I'll hopefully get into that a little bit more here today, but it is the legal system governing unreal things. That's what statutory law is. How specifically are they creating statutes in the United States right now? What do you mean? How specifically? That's all they create. Well, but who, who creates it? Like, does a judge create it or does the legislature or, like or it's, what? It's the legislature. Yes. Right. Is it, is that when they put in a bill and then yep. the people around the parliament or whatever you call it go, yes, we signed this into law. It's a statute. It's a law, right? That's right. That's exactly okay, right. So that's statute, statutory law. Okay. And while we're on this, we might as well cover what those are, what they really are. And, you know, this is one of the, hopefully we'll get through some of this explanation today, but really what those are, are policies, corporate mm -hmm. policies. Right. I'll explain corporate what a corporation policies. is later. It's a, or you can, some people say corporate bylaws. So the perfect example mm -hmm. is, say you work for McDonald's, right? If you sign up to become an employee for McDonald's, they've got, you know, the employee handbook and it's got all their policies on what they expect of a McDonald's employee to follow. You got to wear the, you know, maroon pants and the yellow shirt or whatever, right? You got to wear your name badge. Well, these are all corporate policies for McDonald's. And what does this bylaw Im imply? Is that like by as in secondary or something or what is by? BY dash law. It's a bylaw. So that's just another way to distinguish it from the actual law, right? Okay. It's the same thing as a policy. They're one and the right. same. I prefer policy just because I don't like, you know, it just gets confusing when you say law, law, law. Everybody gets confused by it. But it's like the word law has been attached to all these different ideas. That it's kind of it's kind of a way of hiding what's really going on, like a statutory law. A by right. Law. So we have these policies and we're running around arguing about whether things are lawful or not when we're we're often talking about just whether the controllers have made it a statutory policy or something. And it's got nothing to do with law at all. It has nothing to do with law at all. It's what the, what's happened, and I'll try to get into this in this explanation today, is they tricked you, us, into being employees or dependents of the corporation known as the United States of America, Inc. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's the trick. And when you, when you are tricked into doing that, then you have to follow the corporate bylaws, which are the statutes. Right. Make sense? So if you consider yourself an employee of the corporation. You don't. Then... Though. You don't. You don't consider yourself that. You think you're a U.S. citizen or an Australian citizen. Right, right. Uh, or if you don't know that you're a, you're acting as if you were uh, an employee or something. It's not even that. Way to put it. it's, it's not even, okay. no, it's not even that. It's that they are treating you like an employee oh, or treating you like that. Okay. Right. right. You don't right. have no idea. That's the whole, <laughs> okay. that's the whole trick. Right. And so once you learn it, as hopefully we'll get a little bit into today's or the next week's broadcast, 
once you learn it, then you go, ah, this is what they're doing. Right. And all of this mm-hmm. started to really get dug into, you know, of course, with the COVID stuff and they were, you know, hadn't having to wear a mask everywhere. And, you know, all the businesses closing, you know, for me, it was like, how are they doing this to us? Right. Didn't yeah, make sense. Right. I want to keep my business open. They suddenly said, there's a law. You're a law. You're not allowed outside. It was a mandate. Okay. It was a mandate, and everybody assumed it was a law. Right. Which is is what they've been doing this whole time. They're just assuming that when the legislature creates a statute, that it applies to me. Just assumed it. Right. And we'll dive into that a little bit deeper, but that's, that's the trick. Did you want to so, cover this other one, canon law, ecclesiastical? Real quick. I mean, yeah, I'm just going to breeze through these. So, you know, ecclesiastical is the is the highest law. It's the air and it's the A in LAW. And this is what drives really everything. Canon law. So it's from the Vatican. So that's it's at the top of the heap, even though the uh-huh. letters don't signify what comes first, second, and third. It really is the highest law. And, you know, it's it's spiritual law if you will so they're obviously trying to say this is what the universal natural law is but of course that gets changed around and tricks us and on and on and on not going to spend any time on that the last one is w or water and this is the whole for people who have heard a little bit about this before this is maritime or admiralty is what they call this jurisdiction and it's an important thing it well it it's always been an important thing, and I'll explain that here in a little bit, um, but that's a different jurisdiction. Basically, it's for international trade. It's for two countries, two separate nations to be able to interact with each other in commerce, and that's the importance of the water or maritime jurisdiction. Make sense? Okay, and I understand that this this one's going to play quite a big role in, in yep. what you're going to explain, right? Okay, I'll, I'll just leave that open for now. So those are the three jurisdictions, and I'll talk about that word jurisdiction. It's an important word. So here's where I wanted to start is with the this Emperor Justinian I. And okay. this is after the fall of, officially of the fall of Rome, Nero fiddling and so forth. Um, so you might consider Emperor Justinian, even though this is, a lot of this is bunk and the way they do this, but. He's the emperor of the Eastern Roman Empire right after the, the main thing falls apart. Uh, they so call this it, guy was in like Byzantine. Is that's that right? exactly right. The Byzantine Empire right. is what we call it today. But, you know, he had taken all the statutes and mandates and decrees and ordinances that all the different emperors and all the different people who ran the, the outposts and he brought it all together. He had a team and he codified it. Code's a nice word, right? Think about all the codes that we're under. It's, that's what basically the legislative work, it's all codified. And if you think about that word code, it's something that only select few people can understand, right? It's a code. Right. Don't yeah, what understand is that? it. Is that just mean you put all the numbers there, like 10.6.4 says this? or That's what they look like, yeah. Subsec- section 5, subsection 2, clause 4. Right? right, that's how they refer to these. So he wrote an official, the first like official law book according to Justinian, right? Right, and to be clear, it's it's a legal book, is what it really was, right? Legal book. So that's what it really is. It's called what's called Corpus Juris Civilis, and civil, meaning relating to the citizen under the rule of the authorities. So this is where the word civil comes from. It's a it's basically for lack of a better expression, it's the rules for the slaves is what civil mm-hmm. means. So the where are you cer- getting this, that civil is related to slave? Well, it's it's for the citizens. So it's a, these rules don't apply to the emperors and the nobility and the oh. aristocracy. Oh, they're okay. They're, it's, yeah, it's like, it, it's, uh, but the fact that it doesn't mention the no- nobility, et cetera, it's just the rules for the citizens. Right. So this is what everyone else has to follow. Not the mm-hmm. emperor and the king and the queen. Mm-hmm. As I say here in the next bullet, what they do is they codified statutes for the serfs. These are the rules you have to follow to be a member of this empire. And this goes really okay. goes into the idea that 
you know, did the Roman Empire really fall? Did it not? I, you know, I, a lot of people can argue this back and forth. I'm not going to don't want to get into any of that. But, you know, the introduction of, you know, the Catholic system, right? Uh, you know, Nicaea and so forth. And whenever that was, 325. And, and, and then this, this Corpus Juris Civilis, right? These statutes for the serfs. These, the Roman people figured out that, you know, the pre previous thousand years or whatever, they were having to go conquest with, you know, swords and just kill everybody in, in a certain area. They don't want to kill everybody, right? Because the value of taking over a, a people or a land was their production, right? What they could produce. They'd kill the, mm -hmm. you know, the people that were against them. But then they'd leave the people who, you know, didn't resist them and they'd have to leave behind, you know, soldiers and, you know, some kind of a mayor to cover the law. And but it was hard work to go and do it this way. Right. It was, they, a lot of people got killed. It was, you know, the resentment. So they figured out a slicker way to take over nations with religion and statutory law. And this is what they've been doing ever since. Makes sense. And just to clarify, okay, so can you just define the corpus and the jurist part? Maybe you said it, but I missed it. You mean or translate the, rather body of law, corpus. Okay, so corpus corpus jurist means body of law for the citizens. That's right. That's pretty much it. Okay. 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 So so you're saying that he okay they introduced this uh, law thing they codified it and then well how how does that relate to what you're saying about like controlling people and expanding the empire. Well, so they, they, it, now there was this, there were these three books, right. Of how you, how you rule the citizens. And it went out to all the outposts and all the regions uh, in Rome and Byzantine uh, and, and beyond. This is how you, this is how you control people. Basically we're going to institute. Oh, these okay. Codes. Oh, okay. Right. Right. So before that, there wasn't really some, book of laws that they're you're looking to right to it was, say oh you can do this you can't do this like that was just like the ten commandments or something well yeah they were they were different in different regions so there are all these different, different in different regions yeah. gotcha I mean, like the, the the mayor or whatever that ran you know this city would just come up with his own stuff because he was the you know he was right. the top dog say no one's allowed to you know walk on the main street after 8 p.m or something right you know that was the rule mm -hmm. in city x and, so uh, these laws are specifically designed to, you know, really control people and right. you know really right. keep people in their place, right? Right. Really good laws for an empire. Right. Keep clamping down on them. It was the security versus freedom thing that Ben Franklin talks about, you know, whatever, 1780 or whenever he said, you know, you give up your, when you give up your freedom, when you give up freedom for security, you get neither. Mm -hmm. Right. In the end. So this is the kind of the start of it. Make sense? Sure. And one last note about this is this is where you'll find this dual meaning of the word person start. And this has become very important later on when we talk about this. But there were two types of persons, even as far back as Justinian. There was the landowner, you know, the whatever you want to call them, the middle upper class person that owned property and owned land. And then there was the slave. There were literally slaves all through this period, right? Right, right. And they had, they were a different kind of person, even though you call them both persons. It's the, it's the biggest trick word there is. And again, I'm not going to cover that in detail here, but here's where it starts. So there's the free person and the not free person in a nutshell. Right. So does the corpus juris civilis relate to the landowner people? Yeah. It, it, it's making distinctions between the two. Oh, it, oh, in the, that code of laws, it, Inside that stuff, it makes yeah. the distinction between the, the two types of persons. That's right. Okay. What type of person am I dealing with here? Mm. And can you actually go get this book and read it? I believe so. But, I, you know, it, it was in Latin. You know, is there a translated right. version somewhere? I'm sure. Okay. So this, this has been continuously used and updated for the past 1,500 years. Mm -hmm. Right. That's actually, it's been almost 1500 years, literally 529 to 2023 coming up on 1500 years. But yeah, this is what today we have the uniform commercial code UCC. This is just today's updated version of Corpus Juris Civilis. Mm -hmm. Make sense? Yep.
All right. So now I'm going to jump 500 years. <laughs> and this is continuously being updated and changed. There are different volumes of this. I think, I think he put out three in his lifetime, but I may be mistaken about that. But, you know, again, it, it continuously gets improved upon over time. So, okay. So the next, Roman Empire still existing at this next point you're about to make? Well, yeah, the the Byzantine Empire exists all the way up until 1400s or something, right? I think and I think it's like 1850 or something they give it they oh, give okay, it like life a, all the way the up Ottoman. until Yeah. Okay. But people argue about it, blah blah blah. So that's not important. Okay. I think the next most important event is William the Conqueror. And you could spend, you know, hours talking about you know, a fascinating story uh, about William, but the, the, here's the short version. As he decides to go to battle, <clears throat> excuse me, with England, with Britain. He's then, he, by the way, he's from Normandy, which is this region of Northern France at this time. So he gets his buddies together and remarkably, you know, comes over, you know, rose across the English Channel and does really what the Romans really couldn't ever do, right? The Romans, so the, it's said that the Romans, con, you know, Julius Caesar conquered Britain, you know, like in 45 AD or whenever that was, and, you know, ruled there for a couple hundred years. But really, they, they kind of had some like outposts that they ran, but the, the, the country outside of, the, you know, the main cities really wasn't under Roman rule. Right? They just had these garrisons. So they never really took it over like mm -hmm. William the Conqueror did. And it's a fascinating story. Again, the details aren't important about how it all happened, but somehow or another, these Normans come across and they take the whole island effectively in short order. That's what, obviously why he's called the Conqueror now, because he conquered England. And this is when 1066, when it's when he's finally coronated. I think it's Christmas when he gets coronated. And, you know, he's in Westminster, the city of London, as we call it today. And he makes a deal with the Vatican to give them the city of London. So obviously they, the Vatican helped, must have helped William the Conqueror achieve what he achieved. And this is what one so of the... By financing it or did they, the Vatican have soldiers or did they just finance it? I think it's a little bit of both. You know, again, this is some not clear stuff and I don't know all the details, not that important, but you can, there's always been, and I'll, we'll talk about it here in a little bit later, but there's always this competition between the Vatican, the priest and the king, the pope and the king. It goes right, all, through, yeah. all through this time. And they're not really in competition, but they're kind of in competition. So it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's almost like a friendly game of chess in a way that these two are playing. They, they both come out winners after all the people, the serfs, slaughter themselves. But this is the, this is the running theme we'll hear about again and again as I talk about all this. So anyway, William, this is just an important side note that he makes a deal and basically gives the city of London this one square mile, what we call Westminster or city of London today, within, within the borders of the greater metropolitan area known as London. And William the Conqueror gave this one square mile to the Vatican. That's right. That was his in exchange repayment. for the help. Right. Gotcha. That's his repayment for their assistance in conquering the Brits. Right. And what's key in this is that William doesn't want to have to, doesn't want the Normans to have to come, have to refight the Brits in 50 or 100 years or whatever. So he does something fascinating and unusual that really has never been done before or since, as far as I'm aware, in that he takes Britain and he slices it up in the land tracks and gives dominion over these land tracks to his friends and the generals that, you know, that helped him win, win the war. Right. So this is all barons and nobles are owning land and stuff like that right. earls right. barons lords yeah, dukes, yeah. on and on and yeah, on yeah. right okay so okay. He, he he creates what we know today as the nobility class on right. england and that's okay. why you and this is why you find so many castles in the british isles right like where are the, what other country are there you know 100 castles mm -hmm. you're not gonna you're not gonna find them except in the british isles of course each one of these, excuse me, 
each one of these generals and friends built their own castle. And, you know, he gave them whatever, you know, 100 square miles or 100 acres or whatever it was, and he sliced it up. And they were each given sovereignty. That's the key, really, to this whole discussion, is they were each made sovereigns, which had never happened before. The only sovereigns up until this time were the king and the queen and their offspring. So it was always bloodline. Mm -hmm. Make sense? Yep. And they hated to give sovereignty to anybody who wasn't in the bloodline. So that's why, they, you know, the, the children of the kings and queens always married the children of other kings and queens. So they wouldn't. So why did he do this? He didn't want to fight half the, the Normans or the French to have to fight the Brits again. And when a new king rose up 50 or 100 years and retook everything and everybody bowed to the king. So he thought, if I put my Norman French people in as these nobility, then they'll, they can't ever rise up again and do what they did. Of course, it didn't work, right? A king arises, you know, about 100 years later, but it was an interesting right. idea. So it's an, an, a method of controlling the populace, right? Of maintaining yeah. power. He, 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 them, he, right? he just, yeah, they didn't want to have to fight the nation again in the future. Mm -hmm. Really what it comes down to. So again, this is the, he creates this nobility class, which is different from the aristocracy class, which is the royal bloodlines of Europe. Okay. And what's really interesting, of course, is that now that these, this nobility class isn't so hung up on this bloodline idea, is it, that it starts to attract money and talent into Britain like nowhere else. Right. Like, so if you're, uh, uh, you know, have a, you're from a rich family and, and your daughter wants to become a sovereign, right? She can now become a sovereign by marrying one of these nobles. And likewise, mm -hmm. you know, the cleverest conniving people who know how to take advantage and get basically It's all about getting money and getting property. Now they too can marry the daughters of, right? These, these sovereigns that so you can become what no one else could really become throughout the history of Europe. A sovereign. And could you define a sovereign here? Someone who isn't, is not uh, the, the statutory legal system does not apply to a sovereign. Okay. Make sense? Yeah. So it's like uh, he upgraded uh, his friends out of this slave ship into sovereignty. Yeah, which is huge. Right, was not possible. Oh, that's a, yeah, right. That's huge, right? And and are you saying even a uh, slave? You're saying a slave could marry into sovereignty, right? A serf, a peasant, a serf, right? Yeah, I could, if I had a beautiful daughter that you know, Lord Sandwich, I guess it's Earl Sandwich. One, you know, had a son and he was in love with my daughter. My daughter could become a sovereign. So my grandkids right. could all then be free and sovereigns. So he created some sort of hierarchy here as well, right? Like it used to be just like this very, very, very small group at the top. But now there seems to be some sort of nobility hierarchy that you can move up in. Right. Yeah. Again, only kings and queens are sovereigns to this point. Mm -hmm. It's the only sovereigns were their kids, right? That's like, that was it. Everybody else, you couldn't, you couldn't get in there. You couldn't be a sovereign until this happened. Okay, gotcha. It's a you know, look. You can look at it as a, a way to becoming your free self, which everyone should be by natural law. Mm -hmm. So again, this attracts money and talent into England like nowhere else. So real quick, you know, the, this nobility. Another word for the nobility was the landed gentry. Or the peerage, you can call any of these any of these words or applies to them. And just a real quick note. So now, when you know, when let's say a, a, somebody in the nobility class kills a serf for whatever reason, mm -hmm. right, or steals something from a serf, whatever it is, when they go to trial, they get a jury of their peers. So only other when they are put on trial by the serf, right, they they get to have their other nobles as their jury they don't have to have the serfs in the jury box mm -hmm. 
and you can apply that today, right? If you were, let's say you were uh, an electrician, for example, you don't want, and you get into a dispute with a, with a doctor or something like that, right? You can get, you can get all of your, the jury, if, it, if your things were right, you could have only, you know, trade skilled tradesmen as your jury, right? Those are your peers. Right, right, right. Not, not a jury full of doctors. You're going to be sympathetic to the doctor. Right. Like before the, before the trial, you have that session where the lawyers on each side are trying to get people sympathetic to each case on the jury, right? Yeah. But in, in, in the real case, there is no pre-trial jury selection stuff. It's, I need someone who, this is, these are the rules. I, I get a jury of my peers. So I get only, I only want electricians and plumbers and carpenters and general contractors or whatever. I can say, these are my peers. So the only people that can be on the jury are these. Today, it's all the legal system. It's all jumbled up. Where the, oh, okay. There's no attorneys. Right. So, so it was introduced this thing where you, you, what, you almost had the right to request that it's only your peers, but it you only did. applies to the nobility. Right. You didn't almost have that. They had the right. So they would never be judged by the peons, the serfs, the peasants. Right. Now, the serfs, who did, the, who did they have on their jury? Did they even have a jury? Oh, yeah. Th this, is, this is where we get into this chancery idea. But yeah, no, this is where the legal system, remember, the legal system applies to the serfs. So a, some, a single judge right. can decide you're innocent or guilty. Right, right, right. Okay, so the serfs were just like the judge decides whether you're innocent or guilty. The nobility gets this nice jury of peers and trial by jury system, right? Well, still, so yeah, trial by jury is the right way to say it today. That's right. The jury trial is what the serfs get. So, so it just changes. This is an example of just changing the words around a little bit. It's a, it means a whole different thing. So hmm, if okay. you got to this point and you did all your status correction and got all you get, got yourself in the position where you could become of the nobility class, right? Above the legal system. And you were in a, in a, you know, a court case, a suit of some sort. And you say, I want a trial by jury. And then, the, and the judge said, we'll give you a jury trial. That's different. That's that, that, <laughs> that's the legal thing. And you say, no, I want the common law thing, the trial by jury, but just a little right. twist of the words. And that this is the whole kit and caboodle. He's got jurisdiction over you now, instead of you having jurisdiction over him, but that's, a whole big discussion. We're not going to do that one right now. Mm -hmm. So I love this word jurisdiction. It's a super powerful word. And you hear it thrown around today, like in so many incorrect ways, but it's just become the way people talk about it today. Jurisdiction. They, oh, you're in the state jurisdiction. You're in the federal jurisdiction. You're in the municipal jurisdiction. Uh, you're in the appeals jurisdiction. You're in the district courts. And there's it's on and on and on. All of those ideas are really what the right, correct word for all of those is venues. It's really the correct word. The word jurisdiction, if you break it down, right? Diction. We all know what diction is, right? Spoken, the spoken word. So we got law speak here, right? Jurisdiction is law speak. I really call it oath. I call it spoken oath. I like this better because back in the days, right? So now we've got these nobilities, right? This nobility class. And that we've got this England sliced up all over the place. And there's no pens and parchment hardly at all for, for everybody here. So what would happen would be you, let's say, you know, you're married and you have two kids and, and you want to live on, you know, Lord Munchausen's land. He needs, you know, people to work his land. He needs to generate revenue, right? He's basically, basically these, all of these nobility generate revenue through renting out their land for people to work it. Mm -hmm. So you, what you would do was you would swear an oath to Lord Munchausen and, you know, in front of witnesses that I now will follow your, the rules on the Munchausen estate. Mm -hmm. And that was, the, so that was your jurisdiction. So if you, you know, got into a tussle with, uh, you know, Lord Sandwich's rules over, uh, you know, across the, the estate and another Piece, you would say, no, I'm I'm under Lord Munchausen, not Lord Sandwich, and there would be mm. little scuffles here and there, but this is the idea where you you said an oath. I'm, I'm I will, and you were, you know, by swearing that oath, you were agreed that if they got into a battle or the king needed knights and fighters, is that you would you would protect Lord Munchausen. That was part of your oath, and then he, you know, he'd give you whatever ten acres to you know 
harvest, you know, farm something and we can build a house there and live there and improve the land and so on and so forth. So that was how this system was working in England. Make sense? Okay. So I would, yes. I would say my oath to Lord Munchausen. Right. So I, pretty much every, every serf in England is under an oath to some particular lord, then most likely, yeah? Right. Previously, they were, they were just by, it was, they were under oath to the king. Just if you were born right. there, it was just automatic. But, but now we have these oaths to, this is where the knights come in, the knight errants, right? The whole, you know, kind of romantic period of time. Right? There are these different knights from different lords, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, that'll go way off track. So let's jump to the Magna Carta, which is 1215. So a lot of people don't understand this. It's really important to understand that most people think if you go, you know, if you take a class, you know, in high school or college, you're, you're going to hear about how the Magna Carta is was the precursor to the Constitution. And, you know, this was the amazing thing that Britain did for their people and on and on and on and on. But it, as it turns out, you know, most of that is not true. It, the Magna Carta, it's an amazing document, don't get me wrong, but it was for these these nobility class, these lords only. It wasn't for the serfs and the peons. Mm -hmm. And really what happened was that, you know, a, you know, a king had arisen again and, you know, the, the royalty had come back in and taken dominion. But they didn't they didn't take away the sovereignty of this nobility class. That's what the one thing they didn't do. Uh, they just kind of took over running, you know, the serfdom again, who weren't, you know, sworn to lords and so forth. And it was just, as always, encroaching, encroaching, encroaching on the barons, the earls, the dukes, the lords, etc. So, you know, a lot of these barons were Knights Templar, the Templar barons were the nobility, and they didn't like what was happening. So they basically, you know, at sword point, forced King John to sign this Magna Carta. They sign it or you're dead, basically. And, it, and of course, it gave it basically the whole idea of it was is that the king couldn't encroach upon these natural common law rights that the nobility class had come to uh, be under, be, accept as the way things were after William the Conqueror. Does that make sense? Sure. So if I can just clarify what you said, just to make sure I had it right. So you mentioned common law again, right? Right. So the, the ability since William the Conqueror had kind of like established a bit of a common law, right? Like they've been doing things a certain way. And then I guess what King John got a bit of a power, power trip going on and he started to try to put his own laws on, you know, against their statutes. common law. Yeah. And he tried to put statutes in to, you know, to counter their common law. And they didn't like that because they had common law, what they'd commonly done. And then they had a whole biff. And then they made the Magna Carta. That's right. All right. And they okay. made him sign it. Okay. So basically, basically, that just meant leave us alone. We're not serfs. That was really what it was. Right. You can't, you can't step on us like you step on the serfs. Okay. And just another last little interesting note was that this, I think I mentioned earlier, this ecclesiastical canon law, right, from the Vatican. Romans. He was the last king of England to really operate under that mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a big topic to get into but that's just important that this common law now becomes last it starts it becomes a lasting thing in england and we will have this little battle between this english common law and this civil roman civil law as we call it today the statutory law all this continuous push and pull going on between them forevermore okay so we jump to 1291. This is the, you know, Temple of Solomon, the, the Temple, you know, the Knights Templar, the Solomon Templars. They get established in Switzerland. And it, during this time, kind of 1200 to, to 1300, this idea of the Chancery Court is established, the Chancel, as it's called. And it's the Chancel Temple. Uh, we call it the, the Crown Inner Temple today. This is started and it's this today is called equity it's, an, it's a you know fascinating jurisdiction of law if you will this idea of equity i'm not we're not going to go into it today but this is something different from common law 
and it's effectively a separate jurisdiction. Okay. And it's very hard to access today, but people argue about who can access if it's even around. It's not. We'll get into that a little bit later on. Uh, but it's interesting arguments about whether this is something that you can get to today. And a lot of people think you can. Anyway, this and this is so this is done in Switzerland. And then in City of London, we have what's known as the Crown Temple Bar. And we, I should make a point that the crown does not mean the king or the queen. This is the crown is really the really the bankers. That's really what it is. Uh, it's it's a corporate entity, even though corporations haven't been created yet. It's really what this is. It's separate from the king and the queen. And these become the people who really run the show. So, so when did they, uh, is it just now in the, in the history that the, the bankers are kind of coming in or were they there before in England? Well, they've always, they've always been there, you know, since, you know, the Medici right, and the, you know, Babylonian banking magic and everything, we could go off on a, sure. an incredible tangent there, but they've always, they're, they're the ones that are financing they're, they're one of me behind the scenes. They don't want to be out front. So this is the, you know, the generational wealth building up and they don't want to be seen. So they're happy to be behind the scenes. And this is kind of them starting to take over in this period okay so they're basically so they're, they're making some the, emergence they've, they've gained power over the over the centuries and they seem to be making some emergence that's what you're right. introducing right they've got all the money the kings and queens are borrowing money from them so that the, mm. they're in hawk it's also has to do with usury it's a, again don't have time i mean that we, that's a whole separate conversation but they are now the as they are today, right? They are the behind the scenes, the real power. Right. Okay. Because they're controlling the money more than anything else. So this is where, this is, the, this is the initiation of what we now know today is the legal system or the liege lord system, right? Liege lord, kind of like a landlord, right? This is the nobility is the liege that owns all the land. He's your Lord. You swear your jurisdiction, your spoken oath to this Lord. And this is where this word legal derives from. I think you and I have discussed that before. Right. So I guess um, what I'm interested in here is like, like you're, you're saying something's happening and it's like, but it just feels a bit like exact, like, I guess, you know, these, these entities like t crown temple bar inns of court you know i'm, I'm kind of like well someone's doing something making a legal system but like I, i'm not really i'm missing some detail here well it's already made right the corpus juris civilis is the basis of the legal system the roman civil law okay yes yes they're just using that they're bringing that back into play again and again to overlay against the common law and trick people into thinking they're under it instead of the common law. Oh, okay. Um, and when you say people here, are you talking about the nobility? Yeah. Right. So, so there was the Magna Carta and then, you know, then the nobility was like, okay, yeah, we're sovereign. Cool, cool, cool. And then they were cruising along on that. Right, that's uh, getting in, in the momentum of their manifestation, <laughs> and then uh, and then the bankers suddenly kind of like emerged as all it was very powerful and started to put some code upon the nobility again. Is that right? Right. What's happening? So yeah, let me let me see if this helps. All through this period, let's just call it a three hundred year period, the the serfs swore their oath to the lords to the earls, to the barons. Right. right. This legal system coming in, right, is mm -hmm. taking that away from them so that the serfs and peasants swear to the king or the bankers. Uh. Right. So they're losing their peasants and serfs to uh. the king. Make sense? Yeah, sure. Who, who, do you know who was the king at this time? No, I, I, I don't keep track of it, but this is... 
it's not important. I don't think it's it's happening slowly. This is a boil the frog scenario. It doesn't happen all at once. None of this stuff does, right? It's over so time. Uh, the surfs they're getting kind of like um lured, like a lured to the to the legal system, and they're like, you know what? I'm I'm like aligned with this sovereign, but you know what? This legal system seems really good to me or something no you, no you no it's no. kind of like that no 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 it wasn't the choice is never of the serfs this is a, okay this is all right a, a battle between the <laughs> yeah. kings and the and gave way and too much nobility. independence to them then yeah okay so it's a it's a power battle okay so the the, the king specifically is like exerting more power and like just literally taking over uh, control of the serfs from the nobility right that's right that's a lot better okay. way of looking at it and now was the, was the nobility though were they like controlling the serfs they sh they were doing it just as bad right but they were like a bigger group rather than just one Not person a, well, was that I it? wouldn't I wouldn't say just as bad but you swore your oath to your lord your right. jurisdiction so okay. you you had to follow his rules okay like that's like a corporate policy we talked about earlier it's just a bylaw if you if you live right, on right so you went to work for them right right if you live on the lord munchausen estate you have to follow his rules mhm mm simple as that Okay, so right. now the king comes, the king and with the with the bankers behind him comes more into into power, right? Constant. That's that's constantly happening. Yes. Right. Right. They always need they always need to bubble power to the small select class. And it's always what's it's what's been happening since time immemorial. Fewer and fewer people or corporations or kings in control. They want to get it to where. You know, five hundred, a thousand guys run everything, more or mm. less. You get the idea, right? Sure. So you're, we're always fighting that, right? We're fighting that right now in this very day. Right, right, right. There, there seems to be one like the power is kind of like being taken up to the top, or it's like spreading out evenly, right? It's like those two right. forces kind of happening, right? That's right, and 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 that those forces are what take away our power. Little by we give their our power to them. It's, it's a constant thing. If, if they let us have our power, then we live in a different world. Mm -hmm. This is the blind trust and authority situation we talked about last week. Right. Making sense? Yep. All right. Good questions. So, you know, the next big moment that's interesting is this is where we're bringing you know the Pope back in here is this papal bull known as Unum Sanctum, which means the one holy or the one holy church. And really, this is how these papal bulls work. We're not going to dive into you know crazy details of them. But in essence, what it said is, if you're not under our church, right, the Catholic church. What is a bull? I think we need to establish. That, that uh, a, a pope's decree, you know, an official. A pope's decree. Official ecclesiastical law. The, okay. Pope, the Pope says whatever it says, and that's the new ecclesiastical law for everybody underneath the rule of the Pope, Vatican. Okay. Yeah? Yep. And it, really what it just says is, it, really what he's saying is, is everybody, we have to get everybody under the church because without the Catholic Church, the Vatican, there, there's no salvation for you in the afterlife. Oh, no. So by decree, saying everybody has to come under the Catholic Church. Yeah. And this is the classic battle we have, the you know, the priest versus the king, Pope versus the king and queen. This is just an example of how they're always going back and forth. Mm -hmm. So that's a big deal because now it's we have all these people who think we've got to conquer all these different countries and tribes and lands to get because we we're, we're trying to save them. Right? This is what they now believe. We're not we don't want to harm you. We want we want you to be saved in the afterlife. The only way to do that is to be under the rule of the Vatican. Make sense? Uh, you're you're saying like, which people are you saying are believing that we need to do this to save you? Just the head of the Vatican, or like everyone who believes in everybody who's everyone a who's a part of the Vatican, everyone is a Catholic, right? Yeah. So they'll go okay. fight for the Pope, right? This is. This is their right. 
this is their reason for running off into other lands and you know wiping out civilizations and crusades and, and inquisitions and on and on and on right they have a <laughs> yeah they have a legitimate reason for it they think these people are ignorant and don't they can't be saved right without the catholic right so system. they're the this is for your own good bunch exactly which is what we saw just happen in the last three years with uh, all the COVID stuff right is for your own good for the good of everybody okay this is the trick they always use mm -hmm. you know maybe it's lost on people but you know the pope was the absolute ruler of of tens of millions of people he was the god right he was the vicar you know he was the direct connection to god so whatever he said that was the truth yes yeah and we have to remember that he still owns the city city of london right yeah we didn't mention that today but yeah that's that's right they that's always and, been and in, in this time when, when the bull was decreed he's owning the city of london yeah right yeah. And, and that's where the legal system comes out of that's where it is and and the banking system which we'll get into here maybe not today it's like we're coming up on an hour but we'll get into it in the next session mm -hmm. so jumping forward again up to 1493 we have this inter satera which is this other uh, or Satara, however you want to say it, C-A-E-T-A-R-A, -E another papal bull um, by Pope Alexander VI. And this is otherwise known as the Doctrine of Discovery. And this was, power is already granted to the Portuguese, who was one of the first to really go out and, you know, sail across the Atlantic and conquer lands in South America, North America, and so forth. This is now granted to Spain. And it's this Doctrine of Discovery that says wherever, and of course the Pope is financing these, you know, voyages, any newly discovered land is property of the Pope and Vatican. Or it doesn't matter that people have been living there for thousands of years, right? Whatever civilizations are there, by this decree, this is not all this land and the people now come under the Pope. So Portugal and Spain were at this time under the control of the Vatican? Yes, everybody, everywhere was, right? But well, really, the only place that we have in Europe fighting that's pushing against this is England. But yeah, that's right. Oh, okay. Right. So it's just fascinating that these two, you know, there's there's hundreds of papal bulls, but these are the two most interesting ones for our discussion here, right? Is this, if you don't come under the church, you, you can't be saved. And so we want to go out and save as many people as we can, right? Wouldn't you want to do that? Mm -hmm. You'd fight for that. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's it's gotta gotta fight for my brothers, right? And they aren't even your brothers; they're the people in the you know ABC tribe, in the country next door, <laughs> right. right? But you know, you get you feel, you're meant to feel like you're they're, they're your brothers, even though they don't think you're your brother because you're coming in and slaughtering, you know, their warriors and everything. But yeah, that was the impetus to go do this. Ultimately, okay. I'm going to kill all these people so that I can save this handful via the Catholic Church. So we now we so we have to save everybody and oh by the way everywhere we touch set foot on is now property of the Vatican. Well, I guess just one clarification. Do you think at the highest levels of the Catholic Church they actually believed this nonsense in uh, saving people for their own good, or no, not, were they not, just a, not, just a fake thing for power? Not at the very highest levels, no. But I mean, good. certainly. Okay you know, step down a notch or two. I, I can't specifically yeah. say it was the cardinal or the vice cardinal, but, you know, a certain number of them were in on it, but not, you know, not the vast majority. Of mm -hmm. course not. Um, so I think we'll do this section and then we'll, we'll call it for today. And, and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll complete this hopefully in the next broadcast. But so what happens during this whole period, right? It's, it's called the age of exploration or the age of discovery. And it's, it's kind of the early 1400s to the late 1600s. And this is of course, when, you know, America's uh, United States is founded and, you know, well, I mean, the, the British have landed and the Spanish have landed in all these different places. And uh, they've begun basically spreading their imperial empires during this whole period. And they're claiming land for Kings and as well as the liege lord's children. This is an important idea is that England is already cut up, sliced up. So they're, you know, of course, all these lords are having sons that they don't have any 
they can't get any new land in England. It's already all spoken for. The only way they can get their own estates is to go to other countries, other continents, and start their own thing. Their own fiefdom, if you will. All right, so this is a big impetus. Fiefdom, did you say? Fiefdom? Oh, fiefdom. <laughs> right. So they're claiming land. What is fiefdom? Yeah, they're, 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 that, their little kingdom, right? That little tract of whatever, 100 acres or whatever. Okay. That's under right, Lord Munchausen. I see on Webster, fief, a fee, a feud, an estate held of a superior on condition of military service. Okay, so there some sort go. of estate. Yeah. Right, so I set up my estate. I let people come and build houses and, and work the land, and they promise that they'll go and fight wars for me if I need them. Right. Just like that. So right now, what we really have is people paying for ships and voyages from all of these different entities. Now we have it happening from the Pope, Vatican. We have it coming from the kings, and we have it coming from the lords. So they're all trying to do this. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a good place to uh, call it here for today. So great right, questions. Next session will be in the uh, the new world. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. So we will jump into the new world and uh, we'll wrap it up here today. So thanks everybody for listening and uh, we will uh, see you all next week. Indeed. I mean, uh, even though we're going to you know, continue this part, like while you're here, if you're just listening to this one at the moment, I mean, take a look around the website, take a look at our trainings. If you want to take yourself further in life, much enjoyment and empowerment to you. Fantastic. Thanks, Matt. Take care. Okay. See you, everyone. Bye.